Barney's doesn't guarantee success. Vogue doesn't guarantee success. What guarantees success is if you actually find an audience that actually loves your product. We've been very slow to change in terms of how technology has impacted our lives. A new social network can pop up overnight and completely change our business model. Hello and welcome to the Glossy Podcast, where we talk about fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. My name is Shireen Patek, and I'm the managing editor of Glossy. Today's guest, Joanne King, the editor of HarpersBazaar.com, who took America's first magazine into the digital age. Welcome to the show, Joanne. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So it's Fashion Week, so we have to start with that. Um, how are th- How is it going? What well, has your Fashion Week been like? We're right in the middle of the chaos right now. I think um, we were up bright and early at 8 a.m. this morning um, uptown at um, seeing the Rose show, you know, Mary-Kate Nath- mm-hmm. Ashley Olsen's luxury line. Um, and it's been back to back since then. Um, took a break from shows to come over to the glossy offices, though, and do a podcast with you guys. Good. So it's it's sort of it's sort of a welcome distraction. Good. Well, welcome. We're happy you're here. I want to talk about how, you know, covering fashion, especially from a reporter and an editor's perspective, has changed. Um, I feel like the rise of social media, sort of everyone's talking about it, mostly from the perspective of how that's affected the designers, how that's affected the brands. Um, what about the publications? I mean, what's it? What's Fashion Week like today versus, I don't know, two years ago, five years I think, ago? You know, I really think it's all about the immediacy of it all and how what we used to do even three or four years ago was we would go out into the trenches, see the new collections, um, you know, sort of see what the influencers were wearing, come back take a look at our boards and say, okay, here's the story we want to give to our audience and then go and tell them, here's what's happening for spring 2017. Here's how you should get the look. Here's how it affects your style, your wardrobe. And now we're giving them that information directly from on ground at the shows. And I Mm -hmm. think we're doing that through um, stories on Instagram, through our Snapchat account. Um, And I think that less and less we're expecting our audience to come three or four days later and see what Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen showed us this morning. They want to see it right then. Um, so it's really in, in some ways, you know, you're kind of editing on the job versus mm-hmm. going and getting to see all of the collections coming back, taking a minute and figuring out what really is the story of the season, um, which kind of makes it a little chaotic. Um, a lot, you know, you have to be a lot more instinctual, I think. Mm-hmm. And just if you love something, put it out there, um, which makes it a lot more fun. Well, but uh, that also sounds like a lot of work. I, I was watching. Um, I was watching it. I was on Snapchat and Instagram at the same time as one is um, yesterday. And there were a bunch of shows. So I noticed that people were putting, you know, Neiman Marcus was going hand in hand with the Snapchat. They were also doing an Instagram story. Um, almost every reporter and it, editor. It requires I a lot of iPhones. Yeah. I was trying to. So do you, what do you do? Like carry bo- two? Do you carry one? Do you go back and forth? Well, first of all, it's about having an army of digital editors out there. We have... Um, we usually have about two editors backstage at every show. One's mm-hmm. covering the hair and makeup and the other one's sort of trolling, trying to get a first look at the racks and maybe getting even like a short Q and a with the designer. We have two or three editors sitting um, at the show where we're snapping photos of the chic celebrities that are sitting front row. Um, the first look out the finale, um, anything newsy that might happen throughout it. So it, it does, it is taking much more of an army. I used to go to the shows alone only five years ago and that was, that made sense then. Um, and now we're just sort of seeing a bit of a, um, a need for digital editors to multiply (laughs) um, and sort of be everywhere at once. It's interesting because there was this, I mean, there's like the myth of the fact. Because you can't Snapchat... Insta story, Instagram, edit, take notes for your later review. Right. And, you know, get it on face and do a Facebook live segment. 
and also think at the same time it's just not possible it's impossible well it's interesting because i mean there's this like myth of the fashion editor right it's like the fashion editor that would that makes the decisions this like gatekeeper almost between what's happening on these runways that most of the world in america isn't invited to um and they're able to they used to be able to be the ones like we're bridging the gap we're bridging you're not everyone gets invited to the coolest shows we're the ones that are going that's going to take that. You know, I, think I mean that's we changed, are, right? A little bit. I mean, I think that we are still bridging the gap. I think that, you know, digital editors, we still do have access that no one else has. I mean, you're not I think aside from what what did we see last season with Kanye West where he invited um you know, people off the street to his shows. It's still, it is still a very intimate setting. And so I think it is, you know, certain publications are really delivering the message directly from on the grounds in, in a cool, fun way. And I think those are the brands that are continue to keep their audience engaged and interested Mm -hmm. um, in fashion and, and following fashion week. Do you think sort of this like myth we've talked, I mean, on previous episodes, you know, we've had, um, we've talked a lot about sort of like the gatekeepers of fashion and how the gatekeepers have really transformed and had to evolve along with the supposed democratization of what's happened with runways, but also in general with designers. Um, Do you think there, do you think sort of this like idea that the gatekeepers are over, fashion is democratic, anybody can go ahead and do anything is sort of overblown then a little bit? I do a little. And I think, I also think we're just in this big moment of change. And I don't think that we've exactly figured out where we're going to be in the next few seasons. You know, we can take the Tom Ford show this week as a perfect example. Tom Ford is, is, is known as a very exclusive collection, a very exclusive show where he invites all of his, you know, Hollywood A-list best friends and only the editor in chiefs of you know the top magazines mm-hmm. and it's a very intimate setting and and very special and so he, he did that again um, but he brought his show to New York and the one sort of zinger that he added to it was but wait I'm gonna put the collection in stores the very next day however there was no you know access for digital editors to really get out there and spread the word for him. And so while we, you know, while he was trying to be a gatekeeper and do this intimate show at the same time, I'm wondering, well, where were all the clothes on social media to go get the girl into the store the next day to go buy them? So I think, you know, I think everyone's still sort of figuring it out. And what, what does that really look like? Whereas that the Tommy show, which had, was a portion of see now by now right um not all of it some of it will come in spring 17 was is sort of a happy medium i think about where we're at where well, tommy you really felt get, like it you hit can get all the, the gg collection exactly. now mm-hmm. but you you know it, I, I can be part of what's happening in in trends and in editorial in the spring season and so i thought that was sort of a happy medium and kind of reflective of that sort of you know middle area where we are right now yeah I I want to go I want to talk a little bit more about things that people keep acting are like the end of the world but they're really sort of not I mean see now by now is actually a really good example of that I think that it's logistic but I think that people get nervous because at the end of the day it comes down to logistics Mm -hmm. you know and I think just like anything anytime you're trying to make a change or go in a new direction it takes a couple seasons it takes a little bit of time to sort of reorganize I mean it takes it takes a lot of organization to get a dress from the runway into the stores at Neiman Marcus. So mm-hmm. we're not just talking about how it affects editors, but also how it affects production and, you know, manufacturers right. and all of this. So it's, it's a big logistical change. And it's, and the designers too. I mean, people have sort of talked about this designer burnout, you know, if they're supposed to be creating things yes. that are going to go straight onto the floor right after the show, but they also maybe have to make a collaboration capsule on the side and maybe they're making something else that is only going to be for buyers and editors, right. but not for C. So then 
essentially you could be sitting there making three collections or for, two and a for half one season. for the exact same season. Right. How is, is the idea of designer burnout very real? I think so. I think that, you know, they're having to feed the beast, which is delivering clothes across the entire calendar year. And they're doing that by approaching it right now at about four seasons. We have you know, spring and fall, and then we have the pre-collections. Um, but now, like you said, I think with this see now, buy now um, sort of wrench in the system, there everyone's sort of rethinking, how are we going to continue to satisfy the need for fresh, fun fashion year-round um, without killing ourselves? And I, I think there's maybe something to be said about um, designers sort of always debuting new stuff and it not mm. necessarily always having to be a bunch of pomp and circumstance around fashion week. And I think when we start to see some of the younger, more contemporary designers, um, take that on, um, which I think could be very interesting. So that would just, so by that you mean it would just be a regular consistent, we'll sh- have well, a right, few just, new things come out every once in a while. Like every, like monthly deliveries. Which seems, again, which in fa- really everything seems it, like a really radical really idea, it, but it seems it to make sense. <laughs> but you don't have to debut it all at once, right? right. Um, the idea of CNAP, I know, is again, the other thing I found interesting was uh, people when, I mean, if a few months ago, I feel like people are understanding it a little bit better now, but a few months ago, it was really heralded as this, like, the biggest change to ever happen to the calendar. And then a lot of ifs, ands, and buts sort of sh- started showing up. Oh, we're going to do CNAP by now, but you're not but really, really. going to do CNAP by now. And the Europeans don't want to. Yeah, so maybe then we won't really right. do it. And maybe we'll do it just for some people. Um, how much of that, how, what does that really tell you in some ways about how the fashion industry kind of operates I think in it's, general. It's back to what we were talking about at the very beginning, this sense of immediacy and I, I need to have it now. I want the information now. I want the access now. And I want that dress that I just saw on Harper's Bazaar's Instagram mm-hmm. story in my closet, you know, as soon as I can overnight it. Um, and I think there's no, you know, I, when I was in college and I would be shopping the pages of Harper's Bazaar, I would rip out a page or dog ear it to go back and right. a couple months when I thought it could be in stores and to go find it. And I think, and that was normal and that was how we sort of shopped and we did had, you ever go to like the back page where oh, they the used index? to have yeah and they used to have like, the phone number yeah and you'd call it and, and be you, like, can you, you say call me when it gets in right and and sometimes the people had no idea what you're talking about I like, remember oh when, that's scarf what scarf I remember when we first launched shop bazaar which is now correct me if I'm wrong five years ago and um we were working with Alexander Wang and his team on an exclusive bag um, to promote in the issue and then that you know would be sort of a, this kind of must-have item on on our e-commerce site and they were like this is such a brilliant idea because you guys have been a storefront for us for years we get calls every time anything's featured in Harper's Bazaar we get a call to the boutique in Soho saying please call me as soon as this bag or shoe or dress hits you know hits your store I have to have it and so it's really I think it's bringing it all really 360 for our reader and not just telling her you know what what are the must-haves of the season, but also giving her immediate access and making it simple yeah. to get it into her closet, into her world. Uh, I want to talk about Shop Bazaar in a second, but going back to the idea of sort of having things kind of blown out of proportion and then figuring out that, oh, it's actually not as crazy or insane as it seems. Um, one thing that, you know, we often write about at Glossies about how slow fashion brands, some fashion brands can be to adapt, especially right. when it comes to digital things. Um Do you think that A, that's true, and B, sort of what accounts for a lot of hesitation when it comes to digital um, in this industry particularly? I sort of see both sides. Like I mentioned earlier, I do think that if you really get into the logistics of, of how a fashion brand um, or even a magazine functions, I think there's a lot of things that you have to consider when you're kind of going to completely change the way that you look at the calendar year. Um, 
So there's that. I think if you're able to be really nimble and flexible, I do think it's in your benefit right now. I think that's something that, you know, my team at Harper's Bazaar Digital is really working on, which is, you know, the minute a new social media platform comes up, even if we're not exactly sure what, you know, what sort of story are we going to tell on that platform? We get in there, we figure it out. um, We start to kind of look around and see what other people are doing that we think is really cool. And versus that feeling of I must have a hundred percent certain strategy before I try it out. Um, I think in this world, it's, it's, it's good to be first to market and to get in there and, and, and take and, the risk and figure it out as you go. Right. Um, and we have that flexibility with the way that our team is structured. I think when you, when it comes to fashion brands, it's a lot more layered and complicated because you're creating a product, mm-hmm. um, that has to be manufactured and sewn and shipped and, um, and labeled and delivered. So I, I, I think I feel, um, I, I feel their pain when, um, designers start to get nervous about, such a massive change for them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you mentioned social platforms. Um, what is, um, what sort of Harp, the Harper's uh, Bazaar kind of code when it comes to those new platforms? You'll try everything. You'll try anything there, once. At, yeah, get in there. Absolutely. You Which know, is the newest one that you got? Very, it, well, actually, we, we um, just debuted InstaStory um, as soon as it came out, which was in August. We actually partnered with Instagram on our big icons event this um, previous Friday night at the Plaza Hotel. It celebrates Kareen Reitfeld's um, September portfolio that she does for all of Harper's Bazaars across the world. So it's a big party. It's it's such a social media moment because you're surrounded by all VIPs, the top models, all of Kareen's best friends, and it really is sort of your your classic um, your classic big fashion party. And so what we did was we partnered with Instagram. Um, to help us cover our event in a new way for Insta Stories by interviewing and, and taking kind of live video of all of you know the gorgeous fashion flock as they came through the party and it was it was really fun. Um, I don't know if you guys had a chance to to check it out, but you know it to me that was more exciting than even the coverage that we were doing on our site the next day about the party because it w- it felt so like you were so there. You were. We were also there. Snapchatting and Facebook living and all of it, but um, Insta Story has been you know has been really fun for us because we are already have a very good built-in audience on Instagram. So we feel like we're reaching, mm-hmm. um, reaching our girl. It, it, the Instagram, um, the Instagram thing is interesting because I know that one thing sort of, I, w- for publishers, you know, you want to go beyond the obvious runway shot on Instagram. And that feels like the more, most obvious thing yeah, to put the on insta- there. The instabate shot that every single person is taking a photo exactly. of. Exactly. Here's Absolutely. a beautiful dress we are worn by a beautiful that. person. And there you go. We want to have a point of view. Right. What is your point of view? You know, our point of view is we like to we like to edit the collections for our for our readers first and foremost. And we're not gonna be we're not gonna be a website either on social media or on the site that shows you the entire look from Carolina Her. What we're going to do is we're going to, as quickly as we can these days, get in there and show you the best five looks and tell you what that means for for your wardrobe and for your style going forward. So it's for us, it's really about editing what's out there. Um, We also like to have fun with fashion. And I think that fashion week can be silly and you're surrounded by a lot of fun personalities. We really want to expose that and show that, Um, whether it be from the mayhem of my editors running around from taxis to Ubers to cars to get to all the places they need to go um, to doing you know interviews with kind of up-and-coming front row celebrities we're we're kind of we're doing a little bit of everything how do you stand out against the competition because a lot of people are 
it's like the the things coming at you are very similar. Everyone's at the same show. So everyone's talking, trying to talk to the same designers. You know, I think it, there's a sense of authority from our brand that we really try to uphold. Um, and I think that it does come down a lot of times to access, which at Bazaar, we're so lucky to have so many great partners in the fashion industry and, and really are able to get in there and do, um, do a little bit things that feel a little bit more special and intimate and exclusive for our reader, whether it be interviewing Leela Rose after she, she had this fabulous um, fashion show today where she served lunch and champagne. And it, it literally, I turned to someone um, and said, it feels like we're at a fashion show the way it was in like the eighties <laughs> and the nineties when everything was just so fabulous. And Is there a sense of nostalgia? I, yes, noticed, I noticed a sense of nostalgia in almost everybody I talked to, yeah. not just about even about fashion week, I but said, this is so proper and gorgeous and look, yeah. we're drinking champagne and being fed. This is the <laughs> I way remember Somebody, be. somebody we had earlier on the podcast was was ta- talking to us about um, sort of what you know what they missed most about fashion in the eighties, and I'm like, oh, you could just put up a big billboard, and that would be it, and it would be an amazing billboard, and that would sort of be the end of the advertising. Right. And now I have to make a billboard, and then I probably have to Snapchat it. It sort of takes it takes it, away it that kind of one stop shop idea of what fashion advertising was. Yeah. Um, one of the other big things that I think has been somewhat of a conversation this fashion week, although I'm I'm actually genuinely surprised it hasn't been more sort of this issue of diversity um, I think we saw it obviously after easy a lot of people were talking about it Instagram itself kind of did the big push for runway for all um, what do you think is sort of happening with the with sort of diversity model diversity at shows and um, I think the, the, the I think a really good a really good quote from Stephen Kolb was well you know it's good but it's not as good as it could be um, or something to that effect I think that every season we're seeing such an improvement we just yesterday had the J crew presentation where they casted all real women in their show and I think um, uh, Rachel Comey did that on the first day of New York Fashion Week as well on Wednesday and I think as we watch leaders like that in the industry bring in real women not only in different skin colors, different body types, different ages. I mean, we're, I think that it's, it's just getting better and better. I really do. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is um, sort of what, is there more that can be done and sort of from where does the push have to come? We often talk about, you know, there's the buyers, the push can come from them, the push can come from the designers themselves by saying, no, I'm going to cast, you know, like in the case of, case of J. Crew, I'm going to do this. Is there a role that sort of the media plays in this? Absolutely. I think it is the media's job to um, support and encourage the industry as a whole to to continue to di- diversify and support um, all different skin colors, ages, body types. And I do think it's really important that we don't just feature on harpersbazaar.com, you know, the tall, thin, blonde or brunette girl. And it's something that we think about daily. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to talk about um, shopbazaar.com because I think it's, um, you know, sort of the rise of kind of publishers and e-commerce is a really interesting trend in the publishing space. It's something that our sister publication at Digiday has covered a lot. Um, what was kind of the story behind launching Shop Bazaar? Um, beyond obviously that you were already basically the storefront, right? Like, the well, magazine I, itself was yeah, a storefront. I had started um, to, you know, tell you that story um, with Alexander Wang when we were sort of already in, into the concept of Shop Bazaar. But I think it, it, it just became so obvious to us that the pages of Harper's Bazaar and um, the stories on harpersbazaar.com were acting as a storefront for our audience. They were calling the Wang store, calling Tori Birch, calling Dolce & Gabbana to reserve these items that they were seeing in the magazine and on the site. And it it just felt like there was a disconnect. Well, why can't we just give them it immediately? Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of how the, the idea for shop bazaar was born was, well, we are, we are America's best fashion store. Why are we not actually 
connecting them with the product that we're featuring and saying, this is what you must own. Um, so in some ways it was a very simple idea. Why now logistically, so maybe not so much, but you know, back to my logistics, <laughs> which I know is so <laughs> Those boring, are always so sexy. But yeah. But I think that that's a lot of it. Um, it, you know, and I think that as, you know, we look at delivery dates and the way when a bag hits and when it, it's actually featured in a magazine has been, um, has been really spaced out in the last few years. And we're seeing it come closer and closer together, particularly for Harper's Bazaar as we, as we now are, you know, Shop Bazaar is such an important platform for us. When you open our magazine or you're on our site, you are able to shop immediately. And that's something that took several years for us to get onto the same, you know, the same delivery as what was happening with the manufacturers. So that was one thing um, I think that was difficult and have and has kept publishers probably at bay. It just adds it adds one more layer to getting a magazine to print. Um, and that is making sure that the bag will indeed be available when it hits newsstands. Um, what about kind of internally? Because sort of you want the tone of Shop Bazaar to be like Harper's Bazaar. I mean, do you have e-commerce editors? Um, how do you how do you kind of bridge the gap between think, like journalism and then the other part of it? Which well, is well, it was really important to us when we debuted Shop Bazaar that 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 line not become blurred and that the magazine stay as the authority on the best of what's out there. And so to that note, it was very important. Um, you know, our fashion director at the magazine continued to edit the pages exactly how she always had. Um, not every single thing you see in the magazine is available on Shop Bazaar because ultimately we do, we are very focused on featuring the best of what's out there. And so she would edit and then the Shop Bazaar editors would go and say, Calvin, this is the dress of the season. We're going to be shooting it. It's fabulous. We love it. How do we get it on Shop Bazaar? So it was, we almost just added that in on the background, you know, because okay. I, I, it, it, to risk the integrity of the magazine was a non-option. No, absolutely. Um, what about sort of the editors that are specifically at Shop Bazaar? I mean, are they, um, obviously there, it's an interesting kind of thing because, you know, they're, their success is based on sale in some way, which is so different from how, you know, the editors on the editorial side would operate. Um, what was that shift like internally to even think that, oh, we now have a different kind of person in the building, a different kind of, with somebody with a totally different goal in mind? I yeah. mean, as a reporter and an editor, your goal is very different from that person's goal. Yes, I guess yes and no. We definitely um, found ourselves working even closer and closer with the publishing side of, of, of the brand, which I think is always great when you can get sales and edit in a room and come up with like really great ideas. Um, for the Shop Bazaar editors, I think for them, instead of going, oh, it has to be volume, it has to be sales, what is it going to be? They were like, how do we message the fact that this is the shoe of the season, this is the bag of the season? How do we approach it on social media? And what is, how do we take the story that the magazine's telling and expand it into the retail space? And so I think that's something that they really took a lot on. Um, and I do think it is about getting to know our customer and providing data for the brand as a whole to sort of understand what is working and what's not. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing that, you know, we found a lot of success in um, sales wise was when we were able to offer something exclusive or to use our access and our relationships with designers to create something that's very one of a kind um, that has a Harper's Bazaar stamp on it. And that's something that we were, were able to always achieve success through. Um, let's talk a little bit about sort of like the, the challenges of being a publisher in fashion or being in publishing in fashion. Um, what, what keeps well, you everyone's up? a publisher what, now, what, right? Right. Well, that's the other one. Well, what keeps yeah. you up at night? Maybe that's the quote. Maybe that's the answer that everyone's a publisher. Oh, 
I think what keeps me up at night is, is, you know, the age old issue of how do we get it all done? I think, especially as we start to see, you know, all of these social media platforms keep popping up left and right. Um, our audience wanting more and more and more from us, you know, the content velocity, um, requirements to deliver what your audience needs, just getting higher and higher. And I think, I think the growth rate that's happening in digital has probably been what I would say is the most challenging, but also what makes my job so exciting. And what I'm doing now is so different than what I was doing six months ago, a year ago, six years ago when I started at Bazaar Digital alone, running the website by myself. (laughs) I can't believe that that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, I would love to like spend a day. Like what did I do all day? What was it like? What did you do all day? I think we, you know, we posted like maybe three times on the website and Facebook had just started and maybe we were figuring that out. I don't know. <laughs> you have no I idea. I cannot remember. Just blocked that yeah. time out. Um, well, the, the, the question of velocity is one that, you know, I think anybody who's a publisher in digital kind of worries about. Um, do you think that there is sort of this like this, this um, gap that's forming between, you know, people who've been around for a long time and have... I think you use the word authority um, to describe what you do. Um, and then newer publishers who are sort of focused on, you know, the more perhaps, and when I say BuzzFeedication, I'm, I mean BuzzFeed of like four years ago or five years ago when they weren't putting the kind of resources against supposed unquote unquote serious journalism. And it was really lists and all of that. Um, do you think that there is a gap like that forming in fashion media that there are publishers out there who are sort of doing the very obvious, the 10 shoes you need to see and that is it. And, and then there's the I legacy have, ones. I wouldn't say that I'm seeing a huge gap. And I actually think that in the, in the fashion space, publishers are, are trying to do a little bit of both um, and kind of be, be fun and fast and also have, you know, there are more long form features and things that they're spending a lot, a lot more time and energy on that maybe feel like something that could have been in the print magazine or if they had a, if they had a print component, whether or not. Um, so I think, you know, it's really about that, that sort of high, low content mix right now. Mm. Do you think there's a move towards more, um, more sort of niche audiences the way you've seen in sort of non-fashion media where people are focusing more on, you know, just one thing, lots more vertical, um, lots more vertical media. Um, do you think that's sort of, that's something that may happen in fashion where you get yeah, people Yeah, I think focused? we've been seeing that a lot, especially we saw a lot of that with beauty spinoff in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, it, it's difficult. I think, you know, if you, let's say you were to go after, um, in fashion, like a specific age group or something, you know, whether it be like the older woman, um, I think there could be a lot of success in that for sure. And I, you know, a brand like Harper's Bazaar is, it, we get to spread, we get to cast such a wide net. Um, for us, that makes it really exciting. And we kind of, you know, we have a different audience on every single different social media platform. And we try to really tailor that content to speak to her, whether she's a little bit young and snappier on Snapchat or she's, you know, our stylish Facebook mom. I think we, we really try to think about, about who she is and what we're delivering to her instead of just saying, okay, well, here's what we do every day, you know, pick and choose what you like. We're trying to tailor it, I think, to each of those audiences, which in some ways I think speaks to um, having to be more niche. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about kind of, um, you mentioned social platforms and obviously there is heavy reliance from publishers on them, especially when it comes to distribution. And it's mostly Facebook, let's be real. Um, Does sort of, does that, you know, how much does Facebook kind of play a role in your audience development? And do you ever worry that you sort of don't want to be too dependent or too reliant on sort of that one source of traffic? You know, absolutely. And I think that's something that in general at Harper's Bazaar and Hearst Digital um, that we have started to diversify ourselves a long time ago. And I, you know, a couple of years ago when content velocity and the way that we were posting on Facebook was sort of, um, more of a buzzfeedy type trending, 
strategy. We've, we've kind of, we've ditched that. Hmm. Um, ultimately I, I think my goal as, as I edit the website and social every day is what do I care about? Um, you know, do what I find this fun? Is this, is this on brand and is this, um, you know, is this something worth sharing with your best friend or with your mom? And I, I think we're less concerned about will this perform on Facebook? Because ultimately what we're seeing is that our traffic and our audience continues to grow when we put out there our, when we put out our best content. Mm-hmm. Um, we're spending a lot more time on long form features and videos and, and, and photography and the things that I think are really at the DNA of Harper's Bazaar. Um, and that's been a really, really cool shift, I think, in digital that you're seeing um, across the board with, with publishers. But yeah. it's, it's And not nice. necessarily optimizing that for traffic at all. I mean, so many times no. it's really long form pieces may not drive numerically the kind of traffic you're thinking of, but they have an impact. But when they do, it's super exciting. Those two we things, recently, the holy grail. Um, we recently worked with HBO on um, an exclusive shoot that we did with Natalie Dormer, uh, Marjorie Tyrell of Game of Thrones, where we were told in advance that she was going to get killed off, which I was so excited that we do that. Um, I had so many people in my life that I... I did, had, okay, had how like many people could you alert. not ever talk to about that? Oh, it was so hard. I mean, it was. It all happened very, very fast okay. and very close to the finale. I think for that very reason, you knew a great. We secret. shot her on a. We shot her on a Monday, and she was killed off on that Sunday. Okay. So we had like seven days to produce it, but we like went big. I mean, it was beautiful. It was this whole like moving imagery, gorgeous shoot. Her and Chanel Couture, Valentino. It was fabulous and she gave us an amazing interview where we were able to really talk about what was happening on the show what's next for her um talk about sort of her as kind of a budding style um icon and it was to me that that was that was like the ultimate that was the ultimate um you know coup online um and I think we'd we'd love to see ourselves doing more and more of that yeah absolutely um we're almost out of time but before I let you go I want to hear about what you think is the biggest myth in fashion or fashion media um, that you think, you know, something other people believe, but you're like, nope, nah, not happening. Oh, I think, and I don't know if it's a myth. I don't think that people, when you say the word editor, I don't think that anyone knows what that is. Do you ever feel, I mean, I'm sure you experience this um, in your job oh, as well. I've it all. I've I mean, when I go all. back to Texas and I'm like, I'm the editor of Harper's Bazaar, no one knows what that is. So what I do think, they think it is? I don't know if people understand what editing is. I don't know. I think they think you just go to events and sit front row at shows and go to cocktail parties. And they're totally off. I don't, under, right, I don't think that people understand what creating content really, you know, what it really takes. It takes, is there a, it a, takes word, a level of passion. Well, is there a word worse than content? I mean, uh, it's so ugly, right? It's, it's so the not worst. fashionable. Whenever people say, oh, you create content to me. I, feel, I like to say stories. I feel a, story. a deep, yeah, a deep rage. Yeah, inside. I agree with you. Anyway, and on that note, <laughs> um, thank you so much this for being. This content is closed. This content is closed. Thank you so much for being on the Glossy Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. Uh, We're on iTunes. We're also on Stitchers. And we'll be back next week with more. 